afternoon. This is Shane Kenny. The headlines this lunchtime. Dr Fitzgerald and Mrs Thatcher have begun their historic summit conference and will sign the Anglo-Irish agreement within the next hour. The Irish Live Aid Fund has now reached nearly £7 million and the money is still coming in. Meanwhile, at the end of October, a lifetime dream was realised for a County Mayo priest. Monsignor, what are, what are your feelings this morning? An attempt will be made later this week to recover parts of the Air India jumbo jet which crashed off the coast of Kerry seven weeks ago with the loss of 329 lives. The South African ambassador to the United States has said his government has decided to dismantle apartheid. A gynaecologist has informed the Kerry Babies Inquiry that he told Gordy investigating the death of the Kahasavin baby they might be on the wrong track. The Bishop of Cork and Ross, Dr Michael Murphy, has, has urged people to treat with prudence and caution claims made about a moving statue at a grotto in Ballinspittal, County Cork. Last night, more than 8,000 people gathered in Ballinspittal after claims that a statue of Our Lady had been seen to move. Dr Murphy said all natural explanations would have to be examined before a definitive announcement could be made by the church. Looking back on it, I would have to see as, 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 a, as a professional person that deals in logic that the statue itself couldn't possibly move. Yet we were seeing a moving statue. And going over it again, I, I have to come to the conclusion that something of an extraordinary paranormal or spiritual nature happened in Ballinspittal in 1985. In July of 1985, reports began to pour in from locations across the country that statues of religious figures were moving. It was a phenomenon that would enthrall the nation and for many, the small village of Ballinspittal in County Cork became the focus of attention that summer. When it was at its peak, you would have somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people there in the evening time. And I remember going up on the hillside looking across at it one night and it was like a scene, a biblical scene. You had praying, you had people singing hymns, you had children crying, and you had people that had suffered an awful lot of inconvenience and hardship just to get there. And they were pouring out their hearts in prayer, and that was a good thing. Sean Murray, a local Garda, played an active part in the committee set up to cope with the large crowds that were coming to the grotto to experience what was rapidly being termed a miracle. When we got to the grotto... The first extraordinary sight we saw was a group of maybe up to three or four hundred people gathered on this lonesome country road where normally you wouldn't see anybody standing at that hour of the evening. This was, I suppose, around nine, shortly after nine o'clock on the 25th of July, 1985, on a Wednesday evening. Somebody had rigged up a public address system 
and rosaries were being said, hymns were being sung, and the whole scene was quite extraordinary, so much so that I was concentrating on the crowd. Because of my profession at the time, I was a sergeant in charge of a McCutton Street station in Cork, my reaction would be to study the crowd rather than anything else. And I was looking around me, watching what was going on, taking in this whole thing, when suddenly, I would say about 20 minutes after we arrived, the entire gathering stopped in mid-sentence, in the middle of whatever prayers they were saying. It was like you it was like you'd throw a switch and everybody simply stopped and you could hear this gasp of amazement from everybody in mass, the whole crowd. And it was then that I noticed the statue. And what I saw was the statue of Our Lady, which is a fairly basic grotto statue, same as what you have all over the country. But to my mind at that time, it was actually, it was, the movement was so violent and so real, I felt it was actually floating in the air. And I felt it actually left the grotto, hovered and stayed there for some seconds and gradually settled back into place, still rocking and shaking violently, but settled back to the extent that people resumed praying. This happened a total of three times in the course of that about an hour while I was there. It was mind-boggling. I felt initially that this was some sort of a stunt, and I waited until uh, most of the crowd had gone that night. I stayed there with, with the people because people were excited, people were trying to get up near the statue, and it was quite dangerous because the ground was slippery and it had been you had a lot of rain, so the ground was dangerous. The following morning, I was still so convinced this was a hoax of some sort that on my way into work sometime around 7.30 in the morning, I stopped at the grotto. I was, there was nobody else there. I had it to myself. I climbed up. First of all, I checked right around the base of the statue for wiring, thinking that maybe somebody had rigged up something in the night before. I caught the statue and tried to move it caught it by the shoulders and tried to rock it. It was set firmly in concrete so it couldn't move. And at that I was really puzzled. I was I was really expecting to see some evidence of manipulation of some sort because what, I, what we had seen the night before was so real. Cathy Mahoney was among the first to witness the statue moving. It is almost 20 years and we walked down there, we went out for a walk, myself and my neighbours, and we walked down as far as the grotto and we said, we'd say a deck of the rosary. So um, we said the deck of the rosary and two of the children started giggling and we still know we finished the deck of the rosary and when we finished the deck, it, uh, two of them said that the statue was moving. We all stood there then gazing at it and we, after a while we all saw movement or we all saw different things in it anyway. And uh, there was about so what happens now in a summer's evening in the middle of July, it wasn't a very fine year, it was a very wet year. And um, I saw her as if she was alive, the kind of breathing, as if the statue came alive. Others saw her hands move and more than saw her head move. Anyway, while we were there, anyway, there was about five or six more people came along. And each one of those people saw it. And we went home about one o'clock at night from here. Yes, we had heard rumours back along the years how different people saw different things here and, you know, 
that was Norman believed them. Just told not to, or not to go spreading it. Like I don't know why they believe me, no more than anybody else. But I didn't spread it as such, like you know. But anyway, it went out anyway. It went from there. Then one first night we had a couple of hundred people. Next night we had, I suppose, most of a thousand people. And from there on, thousands for the for that September, August, July, August, September, and into October. Once the weather got cold, then and bad. Tens of thousands of people travelled to Ballinspittal. Many came to pray and give witness to what they believed to be a miracle. Many more came out of simple curiosity. It was frightening from the point of view that prior to that, if, if I would have seen a half dozen people gathered in one spot in Ballinspittal, I would say something had happened, there was an accident or something had happened. And to be confronted with fifteen to 20,000 people cramming into the fields and the ditches surrounding the grotto. Not everybody saw a moving statue. People saw very extraordinary sights up on the hillside from, we say, Padre Pio to Our Lady. I recall one group of people that came there one night and they saw, first of all, they saw nothing. And then when they were leaving, they turned around for a last look and what they saw was a male figure where Our Lady's statue should be. And this male figure was so distinct and frightening. It was a male figure with his hands over his face. And they actually had to get, they got binoculars from another person who was there. And through the binoculars, they could see the fingernails on this, on this, this figure. And all four people, all, there were four people there on that night. Every one of them recounted the same thing. And again, they would be what I would call gin and tonic people rather than religious maniacs of any sort. I remember one woman, one evening, she went inside the railings and she was halfway up to the statue when we spotted her. This would be when there were thousands of people pressing in on top of us. And I went up to her and I brought her back down for safety. And when we got down, as we were coming down, I was asking her, she was very upset, she was crying hysterically. And I said, what's wrong? I said, what What are you... What's upsetting you? And she said, he's all blood. I said, who's all blood? She said, Jesus is up there under the cross, she said, and he's covered in blood. I brought her outside, put her sitting on the seat and left her. Her friends looked after her from there on. I never, never saw the woman since. But those type of stories were recounted to me over and over again. People that had come down hoping to see a moving statue went away having seen something much more extraordinary. Not surprisingly, scepticism abounded. Two camps emerged. Those who believed and those who saw it all as the worst kind of backwardness. Mrs O'Sullivan ran to say, asking why the statues are not moving is a pretty stupid question. Just because they're not being reported doesn't mean that they're not moving. I was down at the one in Balance Spittle and I saw it moving. And there are plenty of people down there, not so many as in the first days of the moving statues, but a pretty constant flow. The media has lost interest in the whole thing, but that doesn't mean that the statues have lost interest or have stopped moving. There you are, that's Mrs O'Sullivan. They're still moving, they're still moving. Isn't it incredible? How people can possibly believe that this omnipotent, omniscient God, if he does want to send us some kind of a message, should act the Mickey Finn around the place with winking statues and bits of plaster moving. It is beyond my comprehension. But there you are, you see. There are so many things in this world which are beyond my comprehension.
Commentator Conor Cruz O'Brien visited the grotto and was surprised only by the demographics. A slight surprise at seeing uh, how much it's uh, a middle-class uh, manifestation. How many cars there are, for example, I hadn't quite expected that. Uh, nor had I quite expected the mixture of, of people who, who believe and people who come for a gawk. It should have been predictable, but I, I didn't actually expect it. Well, what is it then, or why is it? it this is, it's not just in Ballinspittle. Ballinspittle is only one statue. There are reportedly 30, at least, statues uh, moving around the country. Wh why should this happen now, do you think? Well, I think they're, they're, they're rather disturbing. I mean, I think if people are that credulous and that bored, uh, I mean, so many people, I don't mean that all people are, or even anything like a majority, but a sizable number of people uh, are in this state, and a sizable number of the middle class. Uh, I don't think that's uh, auspicious for the future, either of the uh, economy or of the, the politics. Of course, for those who believed, it was simply a question of faith. Well, you see, there was no problem in telling people or people asking what they saw because everybody that came here, nearly everybody, saw something for themselves. So there was no such thing as uh, that we were trying to brainwash the people. Like, because most people that came here, it could be morning, noon or night, saw it for themselves. What I found about it, it wasn't something you could either bring on yourself or imagine. It either happened or it didn't happen. And lots of people have said, well, I think I saw it move. And I always say to people like that, if you saw it move, you would, you would definitely have no doubt in your mind. And did you ever have any doubts about what you saw? No. Um, the, long, the, the longer it goes on, in fact, the more positive I get. And um, as I say, if, if I had seen what often people often describe as this shimmering or the the halo moving or that kind of thing. If that was the extent of what I had seen, I'd be inclined to dismiss it and bury it. But certainly what I saw and what that whole group of people saw that first night that I was there was so definite and extraordinary. I would have to say that it, it, the word miracle describes it better rather than... Rather than um, anything else you get sceptical reaction naturally you get people that uh, say that uh, you, basically you've lost it that you're you're imagining things I know I wasn't imagining things I can speak for myself I've I've walked the streets of Cork for 36 years I've never seen a statue in Patrick Street move or anything of that nature by the end of the year, a total of 47 locations around Ireland would report having experienced a religious phenomena of some description. One such location was Carnes, County Sligo, where four teenage girls, Mary Hanley, Patricia McGuinness, Colleen McGuinness and Mary McGuinness, claimed to have seen an apparition of the Virgin Mary while walking home one evening. On 2nd September 1985, um the four of us were walking down to, with a friend to a local shop and um, it was, we left the house at 20 past nine at night and on the way back we were just talking about general things like school and boyfriends, things like that. And where the grotto is now, 
more or less directly across the road from there, I just happened to look up in the sky and I saw a huge figure of Our Lady and St. Bernadette. And they're both dressed in brilliant white and there was a huge star to the right of her head. Um, after I'd seen this, I was absolutely terrified and I started screaming. Colin was standing right beside me. So I told Colin to look at what I'd seen. Um, when I looked up, I saw Our Lady. She um, appeared to be very close to us, as if, if I put up my hand, I could touch her. But I would assume she was up in the sky. She was in brilliant white and there was a star to the right-hand side of her head. Um, she had a veil that just came down on her face. She was very motherly and very kind-looking. Um, I obviously got very scared and I was scared of Mary because she was the first to see it and she touched me and I just started screaming and ran away from her and then Patricia looked up. Um, I couldn't see what they saw first. I didn't know what they were screaming about until Connie grabbed me and when I looked up what I saw was a great white figure of her lady with a star on the right hand side of her. I couldn't see her face. But I do remember feeling calm and I then touched Mary, who, who did see it then after that. Um, when I looked up again, like the girls, I saw a large figure of Our Lady, but unlike the girls, I saw an actually greyish white. Um, what, a greyish white colour as opposed to brilliant white. <coughs> um, I could see the folds of her cloak. Again, I, like Patricia, I could not see her face. Um, as well, I couldn't see St. Bernadette and I did not witness the star to the right hand side of her head either. And like Patricia, myself and Patricia seemed to be calm as opposed to um, Colleen and Mary were more frightened. I don't know why we were calm. <laughs> <laughs> then Patricia tried to calm us down and she said that it was Our Lady and she, she wasn't going to do us any harm. And we started saying a few prayers and we proceeded to, to go up to the first house, which would be Mary Handley's house. And as we walked, Our Lady just floated ahead of us and stayed with us the whole time. Um, I was had mixed feeling of believing Patricia that everything was going to be okay and yet being scared at the same time. Um, when we reached Mary Handley's house, a dark cloud just came and covered Our Lady and when that was gone, the apparition was over. Uh, we proceeded then into Mary's house and um, her mother was letting out a neighbour and she knew straight away something had happened because she said it, there was like a glow or a halo of light over the four of us and she knew something had happened and um, luckily for us when we told her she believed us straight away because of the way what she saw when we arrived there um, normally the four of us would be out for a bit of fun and a bit of a crack and you know we would have thought that they would you know say you know don't be silly, this didn't happen, you're making it up, go on a poem, the rest of you, that sort of a way. But we were very lucky that she, once she believed us, we felt calmer then, you know. Our father was away for, for, the, mm. for the night down in business in Sligo and we got our sister's fiancé to drive us to, um, to, our, to our, our convent where we went to school and the nuns there didn't disbelieve but they couldn't give us any guidance as where to go or what to do next so we went to our parish priest who sat us down, you know, he seemed to believe us. He told us we had to retrace our footsteps again and go down that same road, do the same journey, and if our lady was to appear, she'd do it again. So, as frightened as we were to do that, the the same night, but at this stage, all the local people had heard, so they walked with us 
And when we came back up to the site where the apparition or where the, the apparition happened the night before, um, there was sightings there that night, not only by the four of us, but by at least 13 to 14 other other local people in the village as well. And from that night forward or onwards, it was, I mean, each night, hundreds of people more joined and saw a whole lot of different things. This local man who has since died came up to Colleen and gave her £100. He says, we can't be all here praying to nothing. He says, we're all here standing up, looking up at the sky. He said, you need to buy a statue. So Colleen was just left there holding this money. She didn't know what to do with it. When another local man came over, he says, right, you know, let's get things going. We have to, you know, there has to be some sort of structure. And there on, they formed a committee those people are still and they're still in it still like 20 years old those same people, people are still in it and they've guided us the whole way yeah. were you surprised that you were relieved so quickly mm -hmm. yes yeah. we actually thought that you know they're going to laugh at us and it was one thing we did say to each other yeah. once we calmed the girls Camped. down is are we going to tell how are we who's going, going to tell yeah who's going to believe us but we all felt we had, had to be told it's just something so big you couldn't keep that to yourself Karen's too became a site of pilgrimage for many thousands who claimed to see apparitions and experience the presence of the divine. On the 8th of September, the birthday of Our Lady, Patricia McGuinness saw something extraordinary. There was a large, large crowd there. It was so big that we had to actually move from the field we were in because it had gotten dangerous up to Mary's, with the next door neighbour, their, their field. And um, what I saw and what most people saw was a huge ball of light or fire coming out of the sky and it just went back up into the sky again. Now that night was the first night I felt frightened mm -hmm. because it was like it was just going to come and there was thousands of people there and everybody shrunk back at the same time but it just disappeared back into the sky again. Now there was people there who said it was a flare who said different things about it but to me it was something that came out of the sky and went right back into it again. You know there was nights there we didn't want to leave at all mm -hmm. that you know, our parents would tell you have to go home when you're in school, but you wanted to stay. You want to stay all the time. Just a wonderful sense of peace and prayer. Amazing. However, as in Ballinspittle, there were as many sceptics as believers, including the church. At Colleen's County Sligo last night, once again some 8,000 people gathered in a field where four local schoolgirls claimed they saw an apparition of the Blessed Virgin two weeks ago. Meanwhile, the Bishop of Killala, Dr Thomas MacDonald, has warned against treating the sightings across the country as supernatural. They couldn't be called supernatural, he said, until all natural explanations had been ruled out. No one could object to people coming together to pray, said the Bishop, but he preferred to see them doing it in church. We just had to put up with what people were saying. Some people believed, some people didn't. But we never pushed um, anybody to believe. Once we believed what we saw, you know, <coughs> it was up to everybody else then. And what was people's reaction who didn't believe around the village? Um, I suppose they never really said anything to our faces, mm. but they probably thought we were... Young, it dad. wasn't so much in the local community. They, mm. We were very lucky in that people that knew us believed us because they, they knew us all our lives and they knew us not to be people to, to be telling lies. But um, in school, naturally enough, there was there was some people who didn't believe us because of the fact that, you know yourself, um, it's such a huge thing to happen in anybody's life and naturally enough you're going to have people that's going to be sceptical and uh, some of them made fun of us. 
And then again, some of them didn't, because some of them came to the grotto maybe after that and had an experience themselves, and uh, that kind of changed their outlook on things as well. So, but as Colleen said, we we saw what we saw, and if people believed us, fair enough, and if they didn't, that was fair enough as well. They tried to make it out that it was all made up in our minds, and you know. Yeah. That we didn't actually see and it was blown out of proportion and, and we were local and girls of course yeah people want to believe that somebody that asked me as well what size shoes was she wearing yeah like yeah. just yeah. yeah i remember being just asked that well. and you stand there going like what you know <laughs> we were actually asked was Lovely it a kitten heel was it an ass over the maybe it was an ass over the fence that we saw things like that one neighbor man out was actually quite funny it was one of the nights it was actually very bad it was raining and loads of people like that, and the thousands was walking up the road. And he goes, where are you all going? I said, we're going up to, like, to see with our lady. Now, what son had sent his mother out on a night like this? <laughs> <laughs> the lack of church guidance in the case of Ballinaspital was particularly felt by some in the small community. We have no authority over the church, so we, um, we can't, you know, just that's it, like that's there. That's their rules. They just keep these things quiet. They kept Lourdes quiet for until they couldn't, and all these places they're all kept them quiet until they couldn't keep them quiet anymore. The church wasn't comfortable with it. I know that um, the bishop didn't. He didn't condemn it, but Bishop Murphy at the time was the man that was in charge of the diocese of Cork and Ross, and his his only comment was that um, anything that brought people together to pray wasn't a bad thing. So, I mean, it's understandable that the church would stand back from those things because they can't go chasing every, every sighting of that nature for fear of bringing religion into disrepute. However, the church was saved from further comment. Almost as quickly as the phenomena had started, it died away. This started at the end of July and we were facing into the 15th of August, the big feast of Our Lady. So... A lot of people were coming, possibly in the expectation that something really extraordinary would happen on the 15th of August. And maybe when nothing big happened then, maybe that was another reason why people started to drift off. In actual fact, anybody that was involved in it like myself, we had only one prayer and one wish, and that is that it would die down. Because Balance Middle at the time didn't need it. Um, it's a very agricultural, rural, quiet community. Um, from an employment point of view, it meant nothing because um, all that people, did, when people came, they might have stopped off and bought a sandwich in the local shop or had a drink, but that's as much as they did. It wasn't, it wasn't an asset to Balance Middle, nor it wasn't, it, it actually, if anything, it has a negative influence in that it caused endless inconvenience and upset to all of us because uh, there were times, there were weeks actually when farmers couldn't pass by on that road, they couldn't get through with tractors and this was the harvest time in July, August and people were, people were hugely inconvenienced but they took it in their stride and um, at the same time when it, when it quietened down everybody was quietly relieved. And how do people react? Say you're, I don't know, if you're, you know, going around the country with work and you say you're from Ballinspittle, 
immediately the association will be with the moving statue. The first question you're always asked is, is, is the statue still moving? <laughs> <laughs> and I simply resign myself to that no matter where I go and I try and make sense of it to people. I, I, it would be easier for me to just clam up and say nothing, but I tell people again what I feel happened there and I tell them, look, whether it moved or it didn't move doesn't doesn't make a blind bit of difference to me. Um, it's up to people to go and look at it if they want to make up their own mind. Today, it's almost 20 years since ordinary people claimed to have witnessed something extraordinary. The cameras and the crowds left and life went on. But how do you go on with your life if indeed you believe you have been touched by the divine? From my professional point of view, it was probably the worst thing that I ever did uh, going public on it because I do know from um, interviews and from going for promotion and things like that, it's not a good thing to have on your CV because you come in for a lot of ridicule and, and uh, you know, I, I decided a long time ago that that wasn't going to bother me because I had my primary obligation was to give witness to what I had seen. Whatever damage it did to me professionally or otherwise was secondary. But I don't think I could have lived with myself if I had denied what I actually saw on the night. Can you point to anything definite? You were saying that it affected you professionally. Was that blatant or was it just a feeling that you got? It's a feeling I got and it's a feeling that I often got when I'd be going for an interview within the job. And I do know the way that um, the way that those things work, that an interview board, for example, would be bound to comment on exposure of that nature that I would have had. And I would have been public, I would have been in the media, and I would have gone public many a time on the subject of Alan Spittle. Now, I didn't, obviously nobody is going to relate directly back to me and say, look, because of this, you're not going any further in the job. All I do know is that um, I didn't make much progress in the in the job after that. But I have no regrets about that. Um, that's neither here nor there. It's We're all only passing through here. And I would prefer to be true to what that lady tapped me on the shoulder about rather than get another couple of steps up the ladder. It doesn't bother me. The Carnes girls don't feel they were chosen. But how has their proof of faith affected their lives? You know, as the years have went on and, you know, we've had vigils and different experiences, you know, you know, since the beginning, like, because our faith has grown and our beliefs are stronger, I suppose, within ourselves, that it wouldn't be as scary, you know, to, to happen again because... I suppose it's Our Lady now something that we know for definite is real. Whereas before, you know, you went to, to Mass and, you know, we, none of our families really would have been, you know, extremely religious or anything. But, you know, we went to Mass and just, I suppose, prayed for what we wanted, something to pass exams or mm. if something was wrong. You know, just average, I suppose. Whereas now because of our experience, it's kind of strengthens us people, that, that, we, that we know our lady's there. So it's kind of more like, I don't know friend is the right word, but 
a definite person on your side I suppose that's mm. how I would describe it you know it was just something that was part of our lives that was always always going to be there from once we were 14 until we die mm. what we saw the apparition will always be part of our lives I think I remember meeting one person and um, he asked me who I was from and I did tell him that we were from that area he goes, oh, do you know those girls who saw the apparition there a few years ago? I mean, what are they like? Like, you know, they're the mad and the hate. <laughs> and I explained that they were perfectly normal girls and that they were fine. And he'd gone, God, could I meet them sometime? I said, you know, you just had. And I think by being just speaking normal to him about the apparition, he believed it straight away. And then that very same day, he went up to the grotto, which he never would have gone before. I think mm. if they didn't believe us, if they come to Cairns, they will be. I think also that um, you know you have different, not putting down any types of prayer groups or anything, and put prayers, it's great. I think the one thing that we always had in Cairns, and maybe it's because we were young as well, like we just always went down there, we said our rosary, we sang hymns that we learnt at school, and it was very simple. Very, very simple. simple. There was no dressing anything up, there was, there was no pressure to sell anything. You know, it was just, and it's still the exact same today. There's nothing extra, you know. You know, you we'd go down and we'd say our like three, rosary, three rosaries and if people wanted to say one and leave, that was totally up to themselves. There was no set rules for anybody to follow. It was just prayer. You know, that's that's all we've ever done in Cairns. It's very simple, but that's the way, that's the way we like it. And now with all the scandals that are besetting the church I suppose people seem to be they may still be praying but they're not praying in the church as much mm-hmm. would you see any significance in that or any kind of conflict between the two um, well I find with prayer and the church to me I mean I do go to mass every Sunday I bring my kids to mass but where I actually pray would be at Cairns you know, and I think it's where people's faith is. If they have faith in God and faith in prayer, you know, how they feel about the church, it shouldn't matter. You know, and if they, they, if they believe in, say, in their religion, which is, you know, the Catholicism, well, I mean, they will go to Mass, but, I mean, and there's a lot happening late, or this last few years. But I think if you've got faith, you'll just keep going. It's your faith in God and faith in prayer that should get you there, rather than faith in this priest or this particular religion I, I don't suppose anybody who's had an apparition or anything like that will really know why why us, why then until we meet our maker and hopefully get the answers then you know, um, we have no re- we have no explanation as to why she <coughs> appeared to us, why she appeared in Cairns or you know, what exactly she wanted us to do because she didn't give a specific outlines you know I want prayer or you know we just went along with what we thought would as long as there was some place for people to pray and come to that it would you know we, we were helping and doing something for our lady we don't know when we're going to die it could be tomorrow it could be 50 years time so like you still have to live real life every day I suppose for us we know the answer to the big question is there life after this one and for us we believe there is we know, so, we know there is. The small questions is the problem. It's small small <laughs> every day. day. <laughs> Your everyday questions we cannot answer. It's a great relief. So many people struggle with faith and they never ever, they never get that confirmation in their life. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. How has that made your life different? You have an absolute assurance that, you know, you picked the right religion, mm -hmm. as far as you're concerned. I wouldn't be afraid to die. That's the big assurance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I was told, if I was told this minute that I would be dead in an hour, other than the fact I would be devastated from my husband and from my mother and my family, from myself, I would not be afraid. And that's being 100% honest. For Sean Murray, his faith has been left fundamentally unchanged, although he has a different view on why the statues moved that summer. Trying to make sense of it myself, I believe that it was something that was linked to the whole spiritual side of Ireland at that time. For example, what I'm trying to say is, in 1985, Ireland was very stable, religious-wise. You didn't have divorce, you didn't have any... There were a lot of the problems you didn't have. But at the same time, I'm thinking that in 1985, young Peter Casey, for example, Bishop Casey's son, in America was about eight years of age. And I, I would say that Our Lady, being the mother of the church and the mother of the Irish people, knew things that we didn't know. And maybe this was her way of attracting our attention or getting us to pray that things were, were in a bad way and were about to come apart. I honestly believe that. Whether, whether or not I saw the statue move, as I said, if it had never happened, my fate wouldn't be based on that. I think maybe that our problem really is, as, as human beings, we tend to only accept what we can reach out and touch and say, this is solid, this is, I can feel it, this is real. But I think there's a whole spiritual side, especially to the Irish people. And it's as old as, it's older than Christianity, this spirituality that we have. And I think that there are times when the spirit world and the physical world that we're so used to, sometimes they sort of intermingle. There's something, it's like you'd open a window between the two and something reaches out and touches you from the other side. And I think that's what happened in Balance Spittle. From my point of view, if it never happened, I don't think it would have made a huge difference to me because my faith is basically founded on my own reading of the scriptures. My, my faith is such, to be honest, that if the church simply folded up and went away in the morning, I would still have the same faith in Jesus Christ and in Our Lady that I always had. I've nothing to gain from recounting this story. I'll never go back on it because I believe that what happened happened for a specific reason which was beyond, certainly beyond me. And um, given the way that the, the way that the country generally has gone from a religion point of view, the way that the Catholic religion has been fractured and torn apart with scandal and with one thing and another. If the statue at that time had to actually come down off the grotto and walk past my gate and throw itself into the sea, I wouldn't be surprised now because that's how strongly I feel about the way the country went. And this is why I'm so convinced that what happened in 1985 in Ballinspittle was in some way linked to the whole spiritual welfare and life of the Irish people.
1985, the following was inscribed on the roadside grotto in Ballinspittle. This lures grotto of Our Lady in St Bernadette was erected by the people of Ballinspittle and blessed on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December the 8th, 1954. Down the years, the grotto and its surroundings have been lovingly cared for by the people of Ballinspittle. Some indeed devoting a lot of time and energy to its upkeep and adornment. Those who erected this grotto did so, and those who today lovingly take care of it do so, to promote devotion to Our Lady among all who live around here and among those who may be only mere passers-by. From famine and war deliver us, from nuclear war, from incalculable self-destruction from every kind of war deliver us, from sins against human life from its very beginning deliver us, from hatred and from the demeaning of the dignity of the children of God deliver us, from every kind of injustice in the life of society, both national and international, deliver us. From readiness to trample on the commandments of God, deliver us. From attempts to stifle in human hearts the very truth of God, deliver us. From the loss of awareness of good and evil, deliver us. From sins against the Holy Spirit, deliver us, deliver us.